I never come up here with anything. And it takes me a long time to preach a message. And I know that my people are frightened now <laughs> because I have brought so much stuff up here. This is a newspaper. It may contain some truth. Well, maybe, right? I read it. And there's all these words like allegedly and anonymous sources. I don't know. But I read it. And I think, well, there, there is apparent truth, at least maybe somewhere in here. That's one newspaper. That's, what is that? Huntsville newspaper, I think. They have my devices. Now, my devices, I can access the internet highway. I'm going to tell you why that did that. The word of God outweighs everything. <laughs> Let me have that. I don't think that's made for heavy. Come here. Now I'm scared. <laughs> On those devices, I can go all over the world. I can look at magazines and I can look at uh, all kinds of apps and information things. And maybe there's truth somewhere, a little bit, apparent truth. The war that's going on, I can look at pictures that are being streamed and I'm assuming it's where it says it's from. But here, this is in the Old Testament, that's the Hebrew text right there. You ought to be able to read that from where you are. Way over here in the New Testament, that's the Greek text. And in its original text, this is absolute truth. There's no apparent truth there. It's absolute truth. Now, where those other things disagree with absolute truth, I must reject those things that don't agree with it. Doesn't matter where it comes from. It can be from one of the highest academic textbooks ever written. Wherever it, from wherever it may come, it doesn't matter. Absolute truth is where I stand. So I'm given absolute truth in the original text of the scriptures, and it behooves me to study it, to abide in it, to look at it, to work on it, and try to live in it and follow it, seek in the power and help of the Holy Spirit to understand it, to diligently compare this with that within the word. And the more I go through the word, the stronger I get in the word and in absolute truth. And the more I am able to recognize that which is not truth. So we're going to look like we always do a little different today than what it usually is, but 
I want to bring you a message that I call the gathering of the nations. And we're going to spend our time mostly just scooting through scriptures. Absolute truth. There are three songs of Moses, at least three, in the Bible. There's one in Exodus 15 where Moses is leading the children of Israel across and through and on the other side of the Red Sea. There's a song of Moses in Psalm 90. The last of his songs was at the end of his life in Deuteronomy 32. The part of it starts in 31, maybe goes into 32. Moses is about to go up and die because he sinned against the Lord and he's not going to be able to go into the holy land, the promised land. But God gives him this song, this final song, and he tells the people of Israel through the direction of Yahweh that God's people are to memorize and always remember and sing this song. So it's a song that reflects upon how he has delivered them in the past. It is also a song of prophecy. Tells them, not if, but when they fall into apostasy and they sin. What happens, how gracious God is, and how he will restore them. But it gives a very interesting verse in chapter 32 and verse 8. Now remember, this is... They went in there as a little clan of people 400 years and they're coming out now as a, a mighty nation, millions, maybe three million strong. And they are making their way to a land that God promised them a long time ago. It's their land. It still is their land. It's, the, the deed has never been revoked in any kind of way. Although even in the time of Solomon, they have never they have never occupied all of that land. They will someday, maybe soon, but they haven't yet. As a matter of fact, for hundreds of years, they were expelled from the land and they were warned in Deuteronomy to follow after false gods. God would expel them from the land but his promise was to bring them back. And we, we live in an age where God is bringing them back. Now, let's look at this verse in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 8. When the Most High, Ben-Hel-Elion, divided the inheritance or gave the lot or possession or property, when he put property lines, and these were always temporary, the original nations are mentioned in Genesis 10. But nations don't live like that. They don't exist. And I have a feeling after this war is over, the map is going to look different than it does right now. When I was a pastor at a church several years ago, one of the wings of the church had been remodeled, but in a particular office area, the Sunday school office, the walls were still the old tongue and groove, you know, thing, and so was the same. And on the wall was a map, huge map. And no one could tell me how long that map had been there. So the map had been there for, 
I remember we celebrated one of the anniversaries in this church was started in 1890, I think, or something. So this would have been in the 80s. And I looked at that map. And it's like a pre-World War I map. Well, you know, you could see, you can understand the shape of the map and of the lands, but those nations were nothing like they were in that day. And in that day, the nations today are nothing like they were then. So the nations, the boundaries are always changing. Why is that? We're told here. He's the most high. Now he doesn't use in the inspiration of the song to Moses, he doesn't use his covenant name Yahweh because this is a message to everybody. You and me and everybody in every age. When the most high gave nations their possession, their property, their lot, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set up the boundaries of the peoples according to the measuring of the sons of Israel. Now that word down here, uh, limits par, that, that Hebrew word means it's an accounting word. It's like according to the accounting or how I'm keeping the record or the books of Israel. Everything else, everything else depends on this accounting. So every nation that exists, has existed, will exist, does so, has done so, will do so in their boundaries that are set by God according to how he is dealing with Israel at that particular time. So it's obvious that an important thing to do for a student of the scriptures is to keep up with Israel. In any age, even in the time when they weren't in their land, this ancient nation, this ancient people still exist, even though countless times some parts of the rest of the world tried to destroy them, tried to wipe them out. There was, you know, there, you know, there, there, were, there, there were the Egyptians, there were, I mean, I could go all the way through this thing and I'm not going to. The point is this, when the world begins to shake for one reason or another, my attention is drawn to Israel and what the word of God says about Israel that hasn't been accomplished yet. So here, whatever's happening, that includes the United States of America, China, uh, Russia, Ukraine, Finland, I don't care who it is, the UK. God is doing it as a sovereign God, the sovereign God, and exercises his sovereignty over the nations according to how he is bringing Israel through its promised and designated 
history and purpose. Someday, maybe soon, finally at last, the kingdom will be set up on earth. It's called the millennium. And most favored nation status will be given to Israel and the throne of David will be reestablished. Christ himself will sit on the throne. So we know this then, that wherever we are in history, we are there as a nation because the divine and sovereign God has made it to be so according to how he is dealing with Israel at that particular time. So it's like we're, you know, we're traveling down a road and we have just passed this mile marker or, or, or this significant landmark and we look for the next one. And we know we're headed there and sometimes we may not know exactly how long it's going to take us to get to a particular landmark, but we know it's down there somewhere. This is the way it is in history. God has made it so. Nothing, nothing can usurp the power and authority of God. He has absolute authority. You know, the Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hand of God. He can do whatever he wants to with anybody at any time. He, he raises up whom he would. He puts down whom he would. It is all according to God. Let me tell you this. A Christian, a sincere Bible-believing Christian should never be afraid, should never have fear, regardless of what the world may look like. We shouldn't fear anything in life, and we shouldn't fear anything in death, because we have been given infallible promises that will be kept. So, so many things can be said that can strike fear in the hearts of people, but Christians can rest upon the completed and perfect word of God, knowing that God is always up to something according to his purpose and his will. So here we go through life. And as, as this nation of Israel emerged as a nation and they're on their way to the promised land, their land that God has promised them. You see, the covenant is sort of a twofold thing. It deals with the people and their place, the people and the land. And God will keep that. There's no doubt about that. So here they're headed out for their land. God inspires Moses to sing this song and to tell them prophetically how he is going to deal with the rest of the world according to how he will deal with them. So then, all right. God's going to punish the northern kingdom of Israel. God, well, God's going to punish Solomon. The kingdom is divided, northern and southern kingdoms, Israel and Judah. The northern kingdom has other kings on the throne, not the son of David. So that kingdom, and they don't have the temple, Jerusalem is in the southern kingdom, and that those people swiftly collapse into sin, grievous sin, idolatry, graven images, other gods. What does God do? Well, he raises up Assyria. And Assyria moves in and 
sweeps away the northern kingdom of Israel so that those 10 tribes of that place are amalgamated into the rest of the races of the world, of the humanity in that time, in that place. They're called the 10 lost tribes, but they reemerge in the book of the Revelation at the time of the tribulation. God knows where they are and somehow they'll be rediscovered. But then there's that southern kingdom of Judah, son of David, prophets, priesthood. Priesthood becomes sinful. Prophets become false. And the kings become sinful. God raises up Babylon. Now there's an interesting difference between the two. The policy of Assyria was when they went in and defeated a nation, they would do what they had to do to erase that nation's history, culture, and language. And they would mix them forcefully with other nations. Nebuchadnezzar's policy, Babylon's policy was the exact opposite. Because you see, Judah carried the promise of the Christ. And they had the son of David in their group who must someday, the son of David, emerge and be the king, of course, of all kings. Now, why was there a difference in policies? Well, because God caused it to be so. That's why he's sovereign. He's doing today what he intends to do. Now, a lot of, I understand a lot of cruel things going on. And I don't, I don't, I'm not a pacifist in that I just sort of repose and say, well, whatever will be, will be. I understand, I understand the need for prayer. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you, the time could come when I would, I would fight. The Bible says, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. It doesn't tell you never to take up a sword. Well, so then I would fight to protect my family and my way of life against overwhelming odds. There's some things worse than death, you know. And so these people are bravely fighting and there's this war going on and we have to think, well, God is always up to something and we have, this, we have this understanding, this absolute promise that cannot be broken. And so boundaries are being redefined and, and all these things are happening. How should we, what should we think about this? Well, we know that Christ is coming again, that's for sure. We know that when he comes, he will establish a kingdom for a thousand years, that's, that's for sure. And that will be the last age of humanity in the time of the first heaven and the first earth. We know that because the Bible says so. But what about right now? What about, you know, right now what's happening? Well, here's the first thing that I know. However, the boundaries may change and whatever may be happening to the peoples of the world, it is happening because God is making it so according to his measuring of the sons of Israel. So my interest then would be in Israel. Has this, this is a significant event that happens today. So what am I, how am I to consider these things? I am to consider them against the light of the plight of the nation 
of Israel. Now, mostly Israel is an unbelieving nation. I understand that. But what God does in behalf of Israel is not for their sakes. He says in his word, it is for my holy name's sake. So God proves himself to be God through the nation of Israel in one way, in one sense, he can say to the world, you'll know that I'm God because this is what I've said in my word. And you'll take note that as much as you, old world, have tried to destroy my old people Israel, you've never done it because I won't let you. Now, God, therefore, is up to something. And there seems to be a, a, a major shift in things here. And I've listened to the pundits and I know they all have these things to say about this and about that. And they make their, they surmise certain things and that's okay. But that comes from the mind of a man. What I want to know is what comes from the word of God. Nothing else to me really matters. And so I seek the answer and I know that the Bible gives us absolute truth about things. Now, as believers, we study and pray and pour upon the absolute truth of Scripture. And then we consider what's being said and what may be apparent truth in some ways. Now, how are these things converging? That's what I want to know. That's the question. Now, in light of this, there's a prophecy with regard to the close of this age it's a prophecy that's called the burden of Damascus. And here it is. The harsh, harsh prophecy, the, the burden. It's an oracle of doom. The harsh prophecy concerning Damascus. Damascus has been defeated from time to time. It is one of the oldest continuously inhabited cities in the world. It's in Syria. And it so often is a thorn in the flesh of Israel, Damascus. Damascus has been defeated. As a matter of fact, what, 8th century BC or so, the Tiglath Pileser? Leveled the city. I mean, it looked like he just leveled the city, but the city remained a city. As soon as he got out of the way, they just started rebuilding the city. It never ceased being a city, but here's a prophecy. In Isaiah, the harsh, the burden, the oracle concerning Damascus. Look or behold. Behold. Look. Damascus shall be removed from being a city. And it'll be a heap of ruins. And when that happens, it'll never be inhabited again. That hasn't happened yet. Now, I bring that to your mind because let's take some things that are said. And I'm, I'm subscribed to Bible-believing Christian Jews who live in Israel. And they, they have news that we don't get. Russia has established a, a, an extremely large air base in Syria. 
with the Damascus, with the uh, Ukraine thing, just before the invasion, it was noted by these Israelis who are Christians that Russia has brought in a significant additional air force to this airfield, this air base that is theirs in Syria, just miles from Israel. And they gave the warning to Israel just recently. You know, you'll, you'll read the newspaper, Israel has bombed something in Syria. They're always making jet attack, attacking with their fighter jets and bomber, jet bombers and all that. Russia, just in the last weeks, has issued a warning to Israel. No more air raids in Syria. We keep that in mind. So then Damascus, according to the Bible, this is absolute truth. The day is coming, maybe soon, when Damascus will be so utterly destroyed that it will cease from being a city unlike any time in its history and it'll just be a heap of ruins. So we have this prophecy that we know God has said regarding Damascus. We know that Israel has been bombing Damascus and other parts of Syria because Iran is bringing in missiles and weapons with the promise to destroy Israel. So therefore Israel goes and destroys those weapons before they're able to be used upon Israel. But now Russia says no more, okay? Keep this in mind. The prophecy about Damascus. Now, the times of the Gentiles, which is the times of nations. That is to say, when the world is ruled by Gentile power. Not Israel, which Israel is not considered Gentile. That's why the word Gentile refers to everybody else, but not Israel. The times of the Gentiles, that's a phrase that comes from the scripture. Now, Daniel 2 and 3, and then again in Daniel 7. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He was a Gentile, Babylonian king. Surely you remember the story. He couldn't remember it, but it shook him up. And he brought in his soothsayers and his seers and all. And they said, well, if you'll, you'll tell us what the dream was, we'll give you the interpretation. He became angry. He said, that's what I have you here for. Are you a bunch of charlatans? Are you fake? Tell me what my dream was and then interpret it. Well, finally, it was reported that there was a guy, a Jew, and he was gifted by his God to interpret dreams. Daniel's brought in. Daniel prays about it and he comes back. He said, King, I'm going to tell you your dream and tell you what it means. He said, in your dream, you saw a great statue of man. It had a head of gold. It had shoulders of silver. It had a belly of bronze, legs of iron, and it had feet and toes mixed with clay and iron. And he went on and he said that in the day, in the days of those toes, 
stone cut without hand, the Messiah, the Christ, would come and destroy. Hit it on its feet and the whole statue will fall. Well, then he went on and he said, King Nebuchadnezzar, you, Babylon, you're the head of gold. But the time will come when another kingdom after you will come. They are the shoulders of silver. Then another kingdom after that, a Gentile kingdom. It's the belly of brass. And then another terrible kingdom after that. It's the legs of iron. And But then it will collapse and there will be feet, clay mingled with iron. Then Daniel in Daniel 7 had a dream. The same thing. But the man of God did not see a statue that was a splendid thing. As a matter of fact, Nebuchadnezzar defied the word of God and had a statue of gold built. He didn't, he didn't want to consider that there would be any other kingdom but Babylon. So he left out the silver and the brass and iron. He just built it of gold. You know the story there. Well... Daniel has the same dream. But instead of seeing it like the king, like the earthen Gentile king saw it as something splendid and wonderful, the way of man, he saw it as something terrible and ravenous. And so the first nation, the first empire, the first kingdom, Babylon, he saw as a lion with the wings of an eagle. Then he saw the next one, Persia, he saw it as a bear with three ribs in its mouth. And then the next one, a leopard with four heads and four wings. And then the final one was the awful one, the, the beast. The beast that he saw was a terrible, terrible beast. And it looked to him as though, and it came up, it came up out of the chaotic, foaming sea. And it was horrible. It had teeth of iron and claws of brass, of bronze. It had ten horns. And then it had a little horn, and you can't see it, but the little horn had eyes and a mouth. And the mouth would speak blasphemies. Ten horns, a little horn, and the little horn uprooted three of those horns. And then the story goes from there. So we know that uh, the kingdom, back over to the statue, the kingdom of iron and brass and silver and gold, those are gone. We live in the day of the nations mingled. Some rule with iron and some are softer and they're maybe like, maybe like dictatorships and, and democracies, but they're, they're living in the world together. They remember, there are 10 toes there. So here is the little horn. We know, that, we know that this awful beast has come with the iron teeth and the brass claws. But the little horn is going to have to make its way. Haven't gotten there yet, you see. Now here we go. There's, there's the feet. Looks kind of like my feet do when I've been out in the yard. I don't know. There's the feet. Clay mixed with iron. Here is the fourth beast. I chose this one because there's that little horn you see, and he has eyes and a mouth. 
that's speaking black. And so this one disturbed. This last one is the one that really disturbed Daniel. He pondered on it. He sort of withdrew to himself thinking about this horrible thing. The times of the Gentiles predicted, prophesied in Daniel. And we know that we live in the time of those toes. We live in the time where soon, someday, the little horn will rise. Okay, now, this is uh, Luke 21. This is part of the Olivet. This is Christ. This is Christ. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive into, the, into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles until that the times of the Gentiles are also fulfilled. So we live in a time of the nations. Christ said that nation would rise against nation. I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of this mystery, that you may not be wise within yourselves, but that a partial hardening, this is Romans 11, that a partial hardening to Israel has happened until that the fullness of the Gentiles may come in. We live in a time of the nations where finally the times of the nations will run its course. And there will be no more national power outside of Israel. There will be no more kingdom of power that will, that will rule over Jerusalem. Now in the new heaven and new earth, there are nations and kings of nations, but they don't rule over Jerusalem. Today, the Gentile powers of the world rule over Jerusalem. They tread it down. They step on it for their own purposes, political purposes and military purposes. Christ said that it would be this way. Paul said that it would be this way, but that the times of the Gentiles would be completed and they would be filled up. Fullness, filled up to be full, to be completed. The time is coming when the last Gentile power will make itself to the world and be the one who treads or trods over, treads over uh, Jerusalem. Okay. We know this. This is absolute truth. We're on this highway and we've passed all of these, all of these significant landmarks and we know that we've even passed the Roman Empire. But part of that, part of what remains from that is still here. But it is here as nations, separate nations, not a, not a great empire. Okay. We know that we're in the times of the nations and we know that the times of the nations will come to an end. All right. So then here, again, Christ in, uh, I think this is Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. You will then begin to hear of wars, rumors of wars. Look or behold, don't be alarmed. It's necessary for these things to take place, but it is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And then all of these are just the beginning of birth pangs. So this, this time of uh, nations becomes more severe 
until it makes its way into what the Bible considers the tribulation, the last seven years. Okay, so all of these are the beginning of birth pangs and wars, rumors of war, kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation, creating famines, earthquakes in various places. I wish I'd have done it. I forgot to. I have an earthquake uh, monitor. And if I turned it on, if I turned on the signal, the band, the signal thing, you would think my telephone was ringing off the hook. It just ding, 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 ding. Earthquakes everywhere. All the time. All over the world. Earthquakes. Christ said this to a people who could not have understood how we going to know there are earthquakes in various places. Well, he said it to us. I get reports all the time. He speaks to us in this day, earthquakes in various places. But this is just the start of birth pangs. Now, this brings us to the contemporary moment, the, 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 where we are today. Is it the time of the rise of Gog? We go now to Ezekiel. I'll only look at chapter 38. I know that's little. I, I don't care. <laughs> it's, I did the best I could. Uh, you can call it up on your device or open your Bible, whatever. Then the word of Yahweh came. This is Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel sort of moves chronologically. Ezekiel starts out where he is and then he goes into the condemnation of nations that have picked on Israel. And then he moves on to the, to the time of the millennium. And right before this, is, you know, it's the valley of dry bones and the regathering, the valley of dry, that's the regathering of Israel. Then the word of Yahweh came to me saying, son of man, Set your face toward Gog. Gog is a Hebrew term in the contexts after the guy who was named Gog, way back in Genesis. Gog is a proper noun that is the title of a leader like Caesar or whatever. Gog. Set your face toward Gog. That's an individual. Toward the land of Magog. I'm going to show you some maps in a few minutes. This land of Magog is part of what is today Russia. The prince, he is the prince, the head of Meshach and Tubal. The prince, it's a proper noun. Some have tried to make it an adjective, but it, it cannot be. So, and the word prince is rosh. You see it there? Well, maybe not. Rosh. And if you say of the prince, you would say rosh ah. That's the suffix of, well, anyway. And you shall say, so said Adonai Yahweh. Now, Adonai is added here 
because he's the master. He's the sovereign master. Adonai Yahweh. Behold, I'm against you, Gog, the prince, the head of Meshach and Tabal. Now, that's pretty serious. Here is some guy someday who rules in the land that is Russia and surrounding lands. And God says to him, I'm against you. Who you think is going to win that war? And I shall unbridle you. And I shall put hooks into your jaws and bring you forth. And all your army, horses, riders, all of them clothed in finery, a great assembly with encompassing shield and buckler, all of them grasping swords. These are the best way that he could describe implements of war. Persia. We're going to see this, but Persia is Iran. Okay, that's Iran. Kush, Put are with them. These are down, so down, they're the radical Islamic states over on the African side, and all of them with buckler and helmet. Gomer, all right, let's hang up right here for just a second. Gomer, Ukraine is part of Gomer, Eastern European nations, okay? Gomer, all of its wings, the house of Togarma, that is Turkey. The uttermost parts of the north and all of its wings, many peoples with you to the utter north of Jerusalem. Be prepared and make yourself ready. And they have. You and all of your assembly who are gathered about you and you will be to them for a guardian. Okay. So the protector of these other guys or these other nations is Gog in his land of Magog, who is also the prince and the head of Meshach and Tabal. Make yourself ready. B, you will be to them a guardian. From many days you will be remembered that at the end of the years you will come to a land whose inhabitants returned from the sword gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel. So it's identified as Israel. Israel will have to be a nation in order to be identified as a nation of Israel, which had been continually laid waste but was liberated from the nations and they all dwelt securely. And you, that is Gog, and all of his armies that follow him, you will ascend like mist. You will come like a cloud to cover the earth. You will be. You and all your wings and many people. So for the sky from there, many peoples with you. So said Adonai Yahweh. It will come to pass on that day that words will enter your heart and you will think a thought of evil. He can't control his heart. He can't control his thoughts. God's doing it. You will devise an evil plan. You will think evil things. It'll come into your heart. And you will say, I shall ascend upon a land of open cities. I shall come upon the tranquil, those who are dwelling securely. All of them living without walls, a wall about them. And they have no bars or doors. And my evil plan is to rob them, to steal from them, to take spoil, to plunder loot, to return your hand upon the 
resettled ruins to a people gathered from nations, acquiring livestock and possessions, dwelling on the navel of the earth. Now, I studied in secular, I'm not, this isn't, this isn't, these aren't Christian commentaries or books. A secular study made a report on the wealth of the minerals that are in the Dead Sea. One of the largest pockets of natural gas just in the ground under the feet of the Israelis. And they have become experts in, in fracking and, and making it. They even, you know what? They even have, and they're selling it all over the world to people who don't have good water. They have devised and invented a machine. You just put it up anywhere and it starts making water. It does whatever it has to do to, kind of like a still, I guess. Takes moisture from the air and gathers it. It's amazing. One of the largest economies in the world today is the economy of Israel. Their, their propensity to invent and export uh, medicines and medical equipment. Of course, the advanced armaments that they sell to other nations and so forth and so on. They are, they are sitting on immense wealth in their land. I'm going to come. Now, this is Israel. It's already been, it's already, you see verse 8, it's already defined as Israel. And I'm going to rob you. I'm going to take what you have. Those who dwell on the navel of the earth, the center of the world, right there where Israel is, Right? Sheba and Dandan, that's Saudi Arabia. Merchants of Tarshish. Tarshish, that was uttermost north was Spain and all of its magnates. And they, they established back, way back, they established a strong trait with the Celtic peoples of Britannia. So those people will object and say, have you come to take a spoil? Have you assembled your assembly to plunder loot, to carry off silver and gold and to take livestock possessions, to take much spoil? Therefore prophesy, O son of man, and say to Gog, that guy. So said the Lord God, Adonai Yahweh, surely on that day when my people dwell securely, you will know. And you will come from your place from the uttermost north you and many peoples with you, all of them riding horses, great assembly, mighty army, outfitted for war. You will ascend upon my people Israel like a cloud to cover the earth. At the end of days it will be, this is the, in the Hebrew text, this speaks of the uttermost latter days. And I shall bring you upon my land. Why? In order that the nations recognize me when I am sanctified through you before their eyes, O Gog. So said Adonai Yahweh, are you he about whom I spoke in ancient days through my servants, the prophets of Israel who prophesied in those days many years ago to bring you upon them? Let me tell you what happens here. It appears to me and it seems to me that the world will be shuffled and these nations 
will become allies, they already are. And they'll have one thing in common, and that is to defeat Israel. And Gog has as its goal, as his goal, to rob the wealth of Israel. That's his goal. That's what the Bible says. Absolute truth. Absolute truth. It's going to happen. Now, it will come up. Apparently, apparently at that time, here's how I see it. Now, this is the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it here. I see Israel sensing great danger in Syria and in defiance of the Russian edict, a massive bombing and destruction of Damascus, unlike at any other time, which will arouse Gog. Who will call for his other people to be in alliance with him. And they essentially encircle Israel. And there will be a, a, a massive force that will cover the sky. And Israel as great and as powerful as they are will have no chance against this alliance. But it brings, in verse 17, it brings an opportunity to teach the people about God. You know, we live in a world today that laughs at the concept of God, laugh at God. They reject him. They don't want him anywhere. They don't want the Christ of God anywhere. They don't want you to wear a T-shirt that says Jesus. They don't want you to pray in Jesus' name. They sure don't want you to bring it into schools. And they ban Bibles and they do everything that is against the Lord God. God will have enough of it. And he gathers finally the nations. And he's going to bring a powerful force against a helpless nation. And God himself will destroy them. And then people begin to preach. Isn't this what the prophet said? So long ago, and it will come to pass that day, come to pass that day when Gog comes against the land of Israel, declares Adonai Yahweh, then my blazing indignation will flame in my nostrils for in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath, I have spoken. Surely there should be a great noise on that day in the land of Israel and at my presence, the fishes of the sea, the birds of heaven, beasts of the field, all the creeping things that creep upon the earth, all the men who are upon the surface of the earth shall quake. All the mountains should be thrown down and the cliffs shall fall to the ground. A tremendous earthquake that Yahweh himself will send. I will call the sword against him. Upon all my mountains, says Adonai Yahweh. Every sword, every man's sword against his brother. So what happens? Now, this is what Yahweh had done in the Old Testament. When Israel was so outnumbered. He confuses the minds of the soldiers and the warriors that are attacking Israel such that in the earthquake and the noise and everything that's happening, they begin to fight one another, start killing each other. And I will reveal myself in my greatness and in my holiness, I will be recognized in the eyes of many nations. And they will know that I am Yahweh. I'm not going to get into ooh, 39. 
39 gives a little more detail about what happens. How God calls nature and even fire from heaven and utterly destroys one of the most massive armies that the world will have ever seen. Now let me go on past chapter 39. I'm not going to do this, but I finally want to show you the maps, okay? If you look at this, up, in, up there at the top, Magog, Meshech, Rosh, Tubal. That's Russia. Tagarma, that's Turkey. Gomer, that's Ukraine and certain eastern nations. Libya is mentioned. Nations, Ethiopia, Persia, of course, which is Iran. They all come against Israel. Why? So that the world will know that God is God. You remember back in Deuteronomy 32? I'll set the boundaries of all the other nations according to how I will deal with Israel. So how is it then at that point in time that the world takes note that there is a God in heaven? From heaven, the power of God through the little tiny nation of Israel, what God has done. That's another map. These maps are based on very ancient maps um, that uh, can still be found, of course. They're, that's the last one. Even when Israel was not a nation, scholars all agreed that this was coming. Even when Russia was not a, Russian, uh, a nation, they were Scythians. They were Caucasus people on the other side of the Caucasus mountains. Even when the, even when the map was different than it was there and that it is now, the word of God never changed. The maps changed, nations changed, boundaries changed. Leaders, presidents, prime ministers, kings, governors, whatever, they've changed and changed and changed according to the will and purpose of God. Someday, maybe today, I don't know. Someday, Gog, the leader of Magog, Meshach, Tabal, Rosh, someday he will rise to power. He will be very powerful. He will think an evil thought. He will make the decision that the easiest way for his nation to become a powerful economic force in the world is to rob Israel. That's absolute truth. So I read with great interest the posturing of nations, the changing of the map, the power and the identity of the one who leads the land of Magog, Rosh, Meshech, Tobol, especially when he becomes friends with Togarma, Turkey and Persia, Iran, and controls these smaller radical nations. 
And all of these nations have one thing in common. They hate Israel. They want to destroy Israel. The gathering of the nations. It happens today. It will continue to happen until finally God has accomplished everything he intends to accomplish. Some day, the final Gentile ruler will rise to power. He's introduced by the breaking of the first seal in the Revelation on a white horse, a bow with no arrows. He comes as a false Christ. He comes as a man of peace, but immediately following his arrival is war, the red horse. And the war starts as civil wars because they are seen in the original text as being armed with the makara, the man, the, the common man's dagger, the common man's weapon. But then the war expands so that the army comes and puts down the civil wars because they are carrying the harumphaya. They are carrying the sword of the army, the army's sword, red horse, war, black horse, famine. Then the pale horse, death. And the world rolls into a horrific tribulation. The good news is this. The church is not destined for the wrath of God. We are told... In Paul's letter to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians that we will be caught up. Harpazo, caught up, seized from impending danger. Caught up, then get cleaned up. And go to supper time in God's beautiful heaven. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and He came into this world to save sinners. If you're here today without Christ, I don't know why you would enter into these last days without a Savior. We have deacons and their wives ready to pray with you. As you exit, you will see them in the rooms just across the hall from our exits. Maybe you're here and you want to pray to receive Christ. Maybe you're here and you want to come and be a part of Shiloh. They'll take care of all of those details, whatever they are, if God has placed those details on your heart. Right now, let's prayerfully stand all over this room and we'll pray and be dismissed.